Podcast. The Profile. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. Hello and welcome to The Profile here on Premier Christian Radio with me, Sam Hales. This is the show where we delve into a person's life, faith and testimony. And it's brought to you in association with the magazine that I edit. That's Premier Christianity Magazine, the UK's leading Christian publication. If you'd like to have a look, we'd love to offer you a free copy. Just go to premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample. You can put your details in there and we will send you a free copy of the latest issue. Today on The Profile, I'm speaking to the award-winning chocolatier and pastry chef, Will Torrent. Will is one of the leading pastry and chocolate experts in the UK, having worked with famous chefs including Heston Blumenthal and Jamie Oliver. Will was also a consultant pastry chef to Waitrose and the author of three internationally best-selling books. He's a judge for the Academy of Chocolate Awards, Quality Food Awards, Great Taste Awards and National Chef of the Year. And he is also a brand ambassador for the Christian charity Tear Fund, Will, welcome to the program. Lovely to be here. Well, I'd love to delve more into your career, but here on the show, we always like to start by hearing about a person's early life. So tell me about growing up. What are your childhood memories? So growing up, uh, growing up was surrounded by food, music and drama. Um, wasn't super academic at school, but my parents were musicians. Uh, we were in a local theatre group um, and both sides of my family were involved in food in some way or another. So on my dad's side of the family, my uh, granddad uh, trained as a chef uh, here in London at Westminster Kingsway College or Westminster Technical it was back then and his uncle owned a patisserie in Paris mm. so it was a real kind of bloodline type wow. uh, career on that side and then on my mum's side of the family my nan baked the most amazing cakes <laughs> and we used to have we were really lucky we used to have three cakes for each birthday oh, wow. so we'd have a novelty cake of course um <laughs> Mum and dad would always say, oh, can you make a fruit cake? Now, why you'd want a fruit cake for a three-year-old's birthday party, <laughs> I don't know. Um, but we always had it, and they would take it into their work or whatever. And then we would have the most amazing chocolate fudge cake. So just, if you can imagine it, uh, rich, moist, dense chocolate cake sandwiched together with chocolatey fudge buttercream. And the way she would make it fudgy was she always put a bit of golden syrup in the icing. Ah. It's a little bit of a baking hack right There's there. a great little tip yeah. there. I'll be trying that one myself. So <laughs> it was. So we would always have... And the other thing that that's really stuck with me is the sense of eating food together as a family around a table. And as I've gone through my career and as uh, now as a, as a church leader, it's it's so important that we encourage families to do that where it's so easy to to just sit in front of the TV, play it on your lap. And we do it, you know, more often than not. Um, but actually, when you sit at a table, no matter who you are, we could have, you know, we could have the prime minister, the archbishop, uh, uh, you know, an American football player and a pop star. But you sit them around a table and they're all equal. Mm. And there's real power in that. And also, I think from a Christian perspective, fascinating that, of course, Jesus himself kind of modeled this, right? With the, with, yeah. Even with the Last Supper. Absolutely. What we now call communion or the Lord's Supper. It was sitting around a table and talking and probably talking about the things of God, but just being that community, I suppose. And just just sharing fellowship yeah. and, and that and what you know what community that brings you know you know practice hospitality is in the bible like so we need to be you know sharing hospitality sharing our gifts sharing our ourselves sharing our hearts yeah. you know and i often say to people um you know having traveled around the country with tear fund is when you go around to someone's uh, house for dinner 
don't take them flowers. Don't take them a bottle of wine. Don't take them chocolates. I mean, there are lovely chocolates available. <laughs> but bake them something. Right. Or make them something. And it means so much more because you've you've spent your own time. You've mm. poured out your heart into that mm. cake, no matter how simple it might be. It doesn't need to be a, you know, a showstopper off the bake-off, <laughs> but just a simple Victoria sandwich yes. with fantastic jam and lovely cream inside will mean so much more. Yeah, that's very true. That's very true. So happy memories then of childhood growing up? Super happy memories of childhood. Um, you know, we went to school. We went to uh, two very local schools um, at, at, at our junior level. And we went to church, it's very very much Sunday school. My mum played the organ at church and it was kind of what we did. Yeah. And, and then we would, you know, go home from church, have a roast dinner, sit at a table and talk about stuff. Yeah. So tell me a bit about how your faith has kind of changed and developed over time since then. You know, would you say you became a Christian in your early years or did this happen later on? No, I, I the way I look back at it was, um, you know, having having been brought up in the church and, you know, Sunday school was a very important part of our, our week, our, our lives. But as as a teenager, um, other things come along, mm-hmm. and that might be you know football, cars, and girls, and that they kind of stuff. They tend to be the three, they, don't they? They tend to be the the, the, the trinity of <laughs> a the lot things of people that, have that story. That take teenage boys out of the church, and um, you know there wasn't really anything that was holding me there, so I kind of drifted very much away from that. But still, said to myself, like, also, when people said, "Oh, you know, you know, do you believe?" I'm like, "Oh yeah, yeah, I've you know I've got a faith. It's very personal. I'm not going to talk about it." Um, and it and I very much came to faith later on. Right. I went through a very difficult breakup uh, with a girl that I had my heart set on, like she was going to be the one. And um, she broke up with me, bubble burst. And within the space of two weeks, I found myself in a new church with some Christian friends, just hearing things and, and listening to things and seeing things that felt like they were being directed straight at me. Mm. And I was I was kind of, grappling with this but i just realized that actually i the way that jesus was going to get to me was by bursting that bubble to have the whole world fall apart for me to just kind of go actually that's the piece of my heart that's missing hmm. now i'd kept in touch with this girl through some friends and found out that um she'd gone to kenya on a charity trip and she'd given her life to christ on this trip wow now we've just celebrated our fourth wedding anniversary um and it was almost like um we had our we'd had or i'd had our whole life plan sorted yeah and god needed both of us to be separate from each other to both find him in our on our own to be then brought back together uh for to, to do some cool stuff yeah you know that's a lovely story isn't that wonderful and uh, you say, how, how long have you been married? You so uh, four years in August. Four years. Fantastic. Yeah. Wow. Um, so I'd love to talk more about your career. Did you always want to, I mean, you talked about that three, was it three birthday cakes? Three birthday cakes, yeah. Uh, I mean, every someone, year. So. Someone once said, uh, Will Torrent has icing sugar in his veins. Uh, now that's um, that sounds nice, but not from a diabetic perspective. I was going to say, that's probably not good health advice. Yeah. <laughs> it's, not, it's definitely not. I'm definitely not a doctor in that sounds sense. Sounds like bad cholesterol to me. <laughs> yeah, it, it doesn't sound good. Um, but uh, it was either going to be... Um, like I mentioned earlier, it was either going to be music, uh, theatre or food. And mm. I chose food. Um, I just, something clicked. And I remember at school very much um, enjoying food technology lessons. That was my thing. And when I was 15 or 16, they said to our year group, you're going to go out on a week's work experience. And I thought this is an amazing opportunity for me to really um, understand what a professional kitchen would be like, what it would be like to work under a, a top chef, hopefully. So we wrote to a we wrote to a local restaurant and we said, 
um, or it was from a teacher. Uh, Will would like to come and do his week's work experience with you. Um, we know that you probably don't take um, students under 16, uh, but because he's got an interest in food, he wants to be a chef, we just thought we'd give it a shot. And um, this chef wrote back and said, we'd love to take Will on. We've never taken anyone under six, under uh, 16, 17 before, but because Will wants to be a chef, hopefully we can give him an insight into what it means to, to be a good one. And I ended up uh, shadowing Heston Blumenthal wow. at the Fat Duck restaurant wow. uh, for a week uh, when I was 15. And that opened up my eyes yeah. to not just great cooking, but perfection cooking. Mm. You know, three Michelin stars, you know, one of the world's most famous restaurants. And I was with him literally by his side. You know, he was going, Will, taste this, taste that. What do you make of this? What do you think's in this? And just giving me an insight into what it meant to be a fantastic chef. Mm. And, you know, preparation comes into that. Um, you know, you don't have to shout expletives at the top of your voice, you know, <laughs> really? like, like, you we, see, like mean, we see on telly. Every TV chef that I watch, and I do confess, I do enjoy watching a couple of them with the particularly bad language, but I still find it incredibly entertaining. There you go, confession time. But yeah, you would think that from the what we see on TV, every chef is just screaming at people and being very rude. That's that's what comes across in those Yeah, days. I think it does. And I think that's that's a, that's an issue that, that um, young, young people have with, uh, you know, food has become... Food or being a chef has become the rock and roll career. But sometimes when you speak to younger kids, they don't want to go into that. And I, I've had experiences where I've had, you know, plates thrown at me. I've had boxes of vegetables thrown at me just because a chef is very badly tempered. Yeah. Um, but actually, kind of from a, from a Christian perspective, all a chef is there to do is to feed people. You come into a restaurant to be fed. And, you know, Michelin stars, books, TV, radio appearances across the world should be an added bonus it shouldn't be what we strive for yeah. we should be striving for um just serving the best food possible giving people a great food and practicing hospitality mm. um but with with heston what it what it did for me was it showed me that actually it didn't need to be badly tempered because yeah. it's all in the preparation and actually when i look back now and when i've been to some of the best restaurants that we have in london and across the world it's more like watching an incredible piece of modern dance. It's chefs like working round each other. A pan comes off there, but it goes over there and it goes to the plates and it's actually really beautiful to watch. When you see the best chefs in action, it is like watching dance. Hmm. You know, the best modern ballet or something. Just everyone knowing where they are and what their job is. Yeah. And if the prep's been done, You're it's fine. gonna be an incredible performance. So, I mean, that must have been quite remarkable, I guess, generosity from Heston to take you on at such a young age and to mm. show you everything. Do you feel almost kind of indebted to him for, for that almost being your big break into that world? Oh, yeah. And um, we've, you know, we've become, um, he's become a, a mentor for me. Uh, I've luck lucky to have quite a few mentors. And um, I remember Heston saying to me at the end of the week, he said, um, oh, I got called to the chef's office. Now, if you get called to the chef's office, it's one of two things. You're getting a P45 or you're getting a promotion. <laughs> it's one of those two things. Luckily, I wasn't a member of staff. so. And he just said, you know, have you enjoyed the week? And, you know, obviously, yeah, it's been amazing. And he said two things to me that I think have really stuck with me throughout my career. One was um, respect the rules, but bend them at the same time. Okay. And if you want to be the best, then the only person that's going to stand in your way is you. And the way I look at that now is, you know, it's good to challenge the rules, but respect them because that's why they're there. But 
never say no to an opportunity that might come along. Don't put your own, you know, other people might put a no or a yes in, but actually it's what your heart is or your gut is telling you. Don't put a no in front of that opportunity. You know, just push the door and, and, mm. and see what happens. And um, I went back and did another um, time of time of work there, you know, when I was, when I'd finished university. Um, and now I help create his his range for Waitrose with a huge team of developers and and buyers and so on. And I, I remember the first time I walked back into the Fat Duck um, as a as a consultant to Waitrose, and he did, almost did a triple take. It's like <laughs> it's Will, isn't it? You know, and uh, to be now kind of full circle working with him and his team is 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 really rewarding, and yeah. and it has a it has a personal element to it as well. Absolutely. So tell me what came next. That was a great opening kind of week working with him. Yeah, it was all right. Where's where did the career go from there? So I I uh, f- went on to study GCSEs and A levels um, because mum and dad being teachers as well as musicians, they said you know make sure you do A levels just in case the chef thing doesn't work out. I can hear parents going, yes, that's really good advice, you know, across the land. Um, and I uh, decided that I wanted to go to uh, to train as a chef. I wanted to do a full for some full training. So I went to the University of West London in Ealing to do a degree in culinary arts. And this is where I learnt everything from hot kitchen to, to cold larder to pastry to restaurant service to ho- hotel management, hospitality, uh, international gastronomy and loads of other things. But it was here that I clicked with the sweet side of the kitchen. Okay. This was where I decided, right, I want to be a pastry chef. And uh, the fact that I lived at home as well, mum, God bless her, did the, uh, did the washing so and she preferred the days I was in the pastry kitchen with a chocolate covered apron than being in the fish kitchen with fish guts and fish scales all over me. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah. And it was here that I met my my pastry mentor, Yolandi Stanley, who really saw. I, I think I I made an effort to say I want to learn a little bit more about why does this souffle rise like this? You know, why do you rest pastry like this? What does it mean to temper chocolate? All these kind of things and perhaps she saw something uh, a little bit of interest and and it's here that I got selected to represent the UK at the international world skills competition in Japan amazing so quite the career taking off um and I guess at, at this point was Christian faith kind of on the back burner a little bit oh yeah it definitely on the back burner um it was very much I suppose I'd fallen into the trap of trying to chase everything mm. trying to go right um at this point in you know when people say to me, I hate it when people say, what's your five-year plan? What's your 10-year, what does your 10-year plan look like? I don't know. Yeah. I'm leaving it all up to God. Like, I just push the doors, see what happens. But back then, it was very much, um, you know, at this point, I want to be at this restaurant. Um, I want to try and strive for this thing. You know, I'd, I'd done a, I was lucky enough to do a TV show with James Martin whilst I was at university. And I, I suppose that also kind of took me away from what it really meant to be a chef and kind of like, if I've learned this, you know, off, off a BBC two primetime show, what does the next step mean? You know, yeah. wh- which do I need to push the TV door? And I kind of did. And it, and it kind of made me into a person that I didn't particularly like looking back now. Um, Why was that? I think just, I, I just, arrogance really kicked in, you know, um, when you're, you know, when you're 19 years old and you're, you're put onto a primetime television show with one of the best chefs on television, you know, driving around London in an Aston Martin, you know, you know, the film crew are there to film you. When you go back into a, a normal kind of day-to-day thing, that kind of slowly pulls in. And actually, I was, I was not a... I remember a very specific um, 
moment where I just started saying to people, why have you not done this? You know, um, why is this not ready? And and I'm like, looking back now, I'm like, who do you think you are? Like, you're, you're, you're still training. You're not even a bona fide chef yet. You're not really ready to wear the whites yet. Um, I mean, it was, you know, great experience, good fun. And we laugh about watching me in, in a terrible jumper, terrible set of jumpers now. Um, Just for those who haven't seen it, explain briefly what the show was. So it was a show called Sweet Baby James. It was with James Martin. It was a great two weeks. Um, and my wardrobe was jumpers, jumpers with T-shirts. And I just, I had this terrible crisscross kind of almost golf jumper. <laughs> And you look, uh, we looked at it the other day at work and, I, and I, they were just like, what are you wearing? Um, luckily, my luckily, fashion sense has got a little bit better, bit better now. <laughs> Brilliant. So um, let's talk about your recent trip to Ivory Coast. You've been doing some work with Tear Fun. Now, obviously, as you say, your day, job, your day job is with chocolate, is with the sweeter yeah. foods. And I think I read as well that you eat chocolate every day. Oh, yes. Which made me feel better about my chocolate habits. I think, well, you know, if you're eating chocolate, maybe I'm allowed to as well. I well mean, Sam, the, 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 best, the best time to eat chocolate, okay, is, is uh, first thing in the morning. Oh, really? As soon as you get out of bed, before you've brushed your teeth, before you've had a coffee, before you've had an orange juice or whatever you have no. in your daily routine. Really? Because, you're, because your taste buds are ready to have something exciting. And what better, like, don't give them coffee. Like, coffee is great, but the problem with coffee is that it gives you a really, okay, it gives you a short burst of energy, like a really sharp burst of energy that gets you going, but it dies off really quickly. If you have a piece of really good quality, fine chocolate, 70% or higher, you'll have a slightly... Uh, a slightly longer, a slightly slower release of energy, but a much longer release of energy. So you actually be better off. Well, seeing as it is Christmas time, I imagine lots of people right now probably are having chocolate for breakfast. And there you go. There's no need to feel guilty. Apparently, it's great for your taste buds. Go for it. Enjoy that chocolate for breakfast. Um, so you work with chocolate every day. And uh, you recently had an opportunity to go to where chocolate is, well, is grown, right? Where, where cocoa yeah. is, is grown. So um, tell me a bit more about this trip. It was with Tear Fund to Ivory Coast. Well, I mean, um, I'm hugely honoured to be a Tear Fund ambassador. Um, I've worked with them for about four or five years now. And um, I'd been to um, see their work firsthand in Ethiopia with um, seeing people help themselves out, out of situations that are dire. But then they said, well, we, we would love you to see our work in the Ivory Coast. Now, the Ivory Coast uh, produces 44% of the world's cocoa. So it is the cocoa growing capital of the world. And they were doing some work through a local partner and uh, to help cocoa farmers help themselves out of poverty and out of situations that are terrible. But the, the thing that excited me was because um, obviously I work with chocolate every day. I eat chocolate every day for me to go and visit cocoa farmers and spend some quality time with them to see the very beginning of the journey that I'm at the end of was something I could not give up. And it was just incredible. There were some real moments of, um, I would say there were some real moments of kingdom breaking through in in those places that you don't often hear about. Often when um, when we hear about Africa in the media, it's often bad news. Mm. But oh my word, there's so much good news happening across Africa that needs to be talked about. And uh, just seeing them flourish was incredible. Wow. So why are Tier Fund working there? I mean, I, I read a stat um, just recently that, that blew my mind, which is that that part of the world, as you say, it produces something like 40% of the world's cocoa, but only receives between 5 and 7% of the profit mm. generated 
you just think how is that how is that even possible it doesn't that doesn't seem fair to say the least well this is a huge problem across across the cocoa industry you know cocoa is growing 20 degrees north and south of the equator um ivory coast being the main producer and this is why um when people ask me about chocolate that we, we have to be prepared to pay more for chocolate right um you know we are slightly um taste washed if you like in mm. this country uh, with um confectionery chocolate you know um chocolate that is uh, higher in sugar than it is in cocoa um this is this is basically when you walk into a supermarket and you look at the shelf almost yeah. all of that will fit that label yeah, right? yeah. A, a very small percentage of that will be um the chocolate that will be a taste great it will taste better than the sugar mm -hmm. um and you know i often say let's use fair trade as a, as a minimum uh, price point that we're we're prepared to pay you know if you go to some other um artisan chocolate makers they might have um personal relationships with cocoa farmers across the world and pay them a higher price than fair trade so i would say you know read the label mm -hmm. if there's a fair trade if there's rainforest alliance if there's uts or other um types of um you know organizations that pay better um pay better prices for farmers then go for it and that's a good starting point you're saying it's a starting point yeah. it's not where i would like it to be right. i don't think it's where the industry would like it to be but it's a starting point mm. um and it's when you see cocoa farmers that have been given that better price been given better training be given um you know small business enter and enterprise advice and simple farming practice advice you see them completely change their lives. Right. You know, it's it's a complete. What I saw in the Ivory Coast was wasn't just that they were given some farming practices that made make sure made that they were able to sell more be cocoa beans. It was a whole life transformation. It was holistic. It was mm -hmm. it wasn't just themselves. It was their families, and it was therefore their communities. And that's where the the, the change will come. Yeah. So, so tell me more about how this works. So you, you have presumably big companies going to Ivory Coast and buying up cocoa from these farmers and what, just not paying them a fair wage? Is that, is that what's happened? Well, previously? sometimes it, it's, the, it's the governments in countries that, right. that, that might take a little bit more than they should do. And, and, you know, we don't need to go into governments, at, you know, especially at this time. Um, anything to do with politics, I kind of have to stay clear of just because I'm completely bored with it, to be, to be frank. <laughs> I think a lot of people are, to be fair. Yeah. Um, but it's but what Tier Fund do is Tier Fund um, work, as you know, Sam, in, in emergency aid, but also in long-term development. And Tier Funds see a need. They don't just go in and, and um, stick a plaster on it because that will be fine. You know, they see the need and they stay long-term. They make sure the job is done. And um, one of the things that they also do is that they work with partners that are already working in country and they see what they're doing and they support them, whether it's financially or through prayer or through uh, just being, you know, having people on the ground. And one of the other things that I love about Tear Fund is that they work through the local church mm -hmm. and it's really, it's seeing the need and through the local church, change is happening. So can you tell me some stories of what you witnessed, the people you met, of how this, what this looks like practically, I guess, in Ivory Coast. So we met Richard. Richard is a cocoa farmer. He's been in his 10th year of, of, grow, of growing cocoa. But the thing about cocoa is it takes quite a long time to, to grow. It's very difficult. It's slow yielding. It's slow growing. And things like coffee and rubber and other types of crops are very quick. They'll, you know, you can get slightly more money for them because there's a bigger need for fine coffee or whatever. Mm -hmm. 
And Richard was, we met Richard kind of halfway through the trip. And I'm getting super excited about just going to meet this cocoa farmer and seeing cocoa in its natural habitat. And, and as we've already said, I love chocolate. And so for me to see it in its natural habitat was something quite emotional, quite spiritual. And I remember sitting there, we were filming for Songs of Praise and we were sitting together and we're in this beautiful plantation and cocoa trees are quite small. They like the, they like the heat, but they like the canopy of higher trees. They like the shade. And they grow, the pods grow on the trunks of the trees, which I hadn't realized. And Richard and I are sitting there and it's just really peaceful. And I'm just sitting there. I'm surrounded by cocoa pods, like my old, like the ultimate thing that I love. Yeah. And you can hear birds twittering in the treetops. You can hear a few kind of on the crushed cocoa leaves, people kind of treading on them. And we both just are looking at like, we're just, he, I don't speak French. They speak French in the Ivory Coast and he doesn't speak English. And there was just this, we know what each other are thinking because he, for him, it's someone coming in and loving what he's doing, what he's creating. And at the same time, I'm loving what he's creating. And, and that was just incredible. But Richard in his 10th year of farming, the first two to three years were super difficult because obviously climate change is an issue when he's expecting a wet season they get a dry season when they get when they're expecting a dry season they're getting a wet season but at the same time because he's not had any official farming training the pods aren't really growing as well as they potentially could be right and this creates huge stress in his life because if he's not being if you harvest cocoa twice a year let's say you know spring and autumn if his pods aren't big enough and don't have as many beans in, you're looking to about 40 to 50 beans in each pod. So if you've got, let's say, 20, that isn't going to be a lot to be able to, to, be able to take to, to the market or to the buyers to sell, which means he doesn't, he doesn't bring in resources enough for his family. But when the cocoa isn't being harvested, because he's a cocoa farmer, he has nothing to harvest. So therefore, in those other times of the year, he has no finances coming in. And at this point... His relationship with his wife breaks down because he's not being able to support his family. Therefore, his children's relationship with the, their father is, is broken because he's not able to support them from a school perspective. Therefore, he's not being seen to support his family, so his relationship with his community breaks down. Now, one of the things that Tear Fund and their partner in the Ivory Coast do is they give them loads and loads of training. And one of them was about crop diversification. Mm -hmm. So Richard can grow cocoa, but remembering that it only is harvested twice a year. So if he grows other crops that yep. are harvested on the other, in the other times of the year, guess what? He can, he can harvest those and sell them so he has a whole year of finances coming in. You're listening to The Profile here on Premier Christian Radio with me, Sam Hales. I'm the editor of the magazine that sponsors this show. That's Premier Christianity magazine, the UK's leading Christian publication. Why not get yourself a free copy? Head to our website, premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample. You will get a copy of the brand new edition, completely free of charge, no obligation to subscribe. Simply go to premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample. My guest on the show today is Will Torrent, and we'll be hearing lots more from Will right after this. Premier Christianity magazine. Are you fed up with fake news or bored of bad stories? We think it's time for something different. 
I'm Sam Hales, editor of Premier Christianity magazine. Every month, our team publishes stories of lives transformed, testimonies, miracles, healings, and loads more good news. We're here to encourage you, excite you, and keep you up to date with all that God is doing through His church. That's why we're proud to bring you a magazine that's different. For your free copy, visit premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample. The Profile. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. Welcome back to The Profile here on Premier Christian Radio with me, Sam Hales. Today I'm talking to Will Torrent about his life, faith and career in being a pastry chef, working for Waitrose, being a brand ambassador for Tear Fund and so much more. Earlier in part one, we were hearing about his trip to Ivory Coast and the importance of knowing where our food, where our chocolate comes from. And Will was explaining how crop diversification has been really helping farmers in Ivory Coast. Let's pick up the rest of that conversation, beginning with one of Will's favourite fruits. Bananas. Let me talk about bananas. I talk about (laughs) chocolate, but I love bananas as well. (laughs) Bananas have huge roots. They go um, really low down, which means they bring up lots of moisture. Now, obviously, we know in the UK, because Alan Titchmarsh has been banging on about it for 30 (laughs) years, that uh, crops need water. So the bananas, the banana trees help uh, feed the soil from a moisture perspective. But the other thing that, um, the, the another part of the training that Richard had received was about using um, organic fertilizers and, and not kind of any pesticides or anything like that, but making his own compost. Now Richard knows about compost because uh, there are people that make it, but, they, but because they know that there's a need, mm-hmm. they sell it at such a high price so he can't afford it because remember he only harvests cocoa twice a year he doesn't yet know the crop diversification Mm -hmm. uh, trick or gold mine as he talked about it so he's able to now make his own compost because he has all the ingredients for an amazing recipe dry grass wet grass chicken poo and air and if he mulches this together over a few weeks, he's left with this organic compost. So he then puts it around the base of every tree in his huge plantation because he has to, he knows that he has to lovingly tend to this, these crops. And what does compost need? Water. Where does the water come from? The banana trees. And you have this kind of almost circular life thing mm. going on. And he's then having much bigger be- uh, pods, more beans inside. He's able to then... Uh, f- um, dry those beans, send them to a cocoa buyer, which means he has more finances coming in. And he's also been given, you know, small business advice about saving money and, you know, investing it into, you know, uh, maybe a bit more of a plantation or more crops or so on, which means that his uh, relationship with his wife is restored. He's then for he's therefore able to um, support his children through education, which means his relationship with his children is restored. And because he's now... Uh, has restored his family relationship, his community relationship is restored. And he's now teaching other coca farmers the benefit of this training, the benefit of this farming techniques, which means that change is happening. Mm. And his whole life is transformed, not just because he's able to sell more cocoa, but his whole life is transformed. It's about changing the whole community, not just one life. And, and, And actually, do you know what? We can take so much from that here in the UK. We can... You know, we can 
We can train other people. And all of this is done through the local church. All of this done. All of this is done through prayer, through love, through hospitality. You know, we all, you know, all comes back to just being hospitable. Mm, yeah. So was this a bit of a, I mean, I, I want to ask, was this an eye-opening experience for you? But I imagine, like you say, you work with chocolate every day. So, you know, I'm sure you knew what a cocoa plant looked like before you went there. But in what way did this change your outlook on the whole process? I mean, yeah, I, I definitely, uh, you know, I was lucky enough to write, I wrote my dissertation at uni on chocolate. Right, And yeah. the social impacts it, it might, good quality chocolate might have. So you have. knew a lot of this already? I knew a lot about it. I'd researched it. You know, I think when you're in a certain field, you do tend to, yeah. you know, dive a little deeper. But what it gave me, it gave me a understanding of what the whole journey looks like. You know, we can get carried away sometimes about, you know, what the wrapper looks like or what the what the fine aromas might be like or what the fine tastes might be like. But actually, we need to remember that someone's grown this. Mm. You know, we're, we're, we're really happy, I think, in the UK. And we have an incredible food scene here in the UK. People are more interested in where their food comes from. And we're, we're, we're more likely now than, let's say, 10 years ago to spend more money on an artisan-made uh, artisan sourdough loaf or an artisanal cheese from the, 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 the depths of Wales <laughs> or an incredible gin made in the highlands of, you know, Scotland. Well, they probably make whiskey up there, but anyway. But at the same time, we're still happy to pay 90p or so on for a chocolate bar yeah. in a petrol station. Yeah. And that's the shift that it's given me. And it's almost a bit of a quest for me now to, to, to tell people to say, yes, let's let's use fair trade as a minimum, but let's look out other uh, possibilities of supporting cocoa farmers. And I'm, I'm starting to do a little bit of work with a new brand of chocolate called Tony's. And their, their strap line is making chocolate 100% slave free and lifting cocoa farmers out of poverty, which kind of rings little tear fund bells because I'm going, this is what I want to see. Yeah. You know, and the chocolate tastes great. But, and you'll pay a little bit more for it, but more goes to the farmers. Yeah. And that's where we need to make a stand. I think people have just got so used to, and it's probably not just in areas of chocolate and sweets, but I think all of us who live in the West, who uh, live, in, uh, live in the UK, certainly, we've got used to paying not very much for stuff that really should cost a lot. I think of clothes. I mean, clothes is a good example as yeah. well. And it is, it is awful. The, the more you look into it, the more you realise things like slavery, things like people not being paid a fair wage for making it or for growing it. Mm. And, but it's kind of, it's depressing though, isn't it? You look at it, you think we've just become used to paying so yeah. little for this at the cost of other people's lives. It is depressing. And I think when we came back from the Ivory Coast, we came back with such stories of hope, such stories of transformation. And, but there are some, dark, there, there's, there's a very dark side to, the, to, to chocolate uh, and not from a 70% perspective. <laughs> but the problem is, is that people don't want to hear that side because chocolate makes you feel happy. Yeah. Chocolate makes you feel nostalgic. Chocolate makes you remember good times. You think, you know, we and also we just come back just before Easter. So I was like, come on. Like we, you know, Easter eggs are everywhere. Chocolate is everywhere. It's the same at Christmas. You know, chocolate is, we, we're surrounded by chocolate at the moment. But if you start talking about slaves and, um, you know, potentially trafficked labor, traffic laborers, people don't want to hear about that. But we've got to we've got to look we've we've got to slowly maybe a bit more quickly actually mm. look at those issues yeah and it might be just spending a little bit more on good quality fine chocolate where we know where it comes from um, isn't packed full of sugar or palm oil or any a- additives or nasty things in there 
you know, potentially buying less, but buying better. Yeah. You know, um, I, I did some uh, work. I do a lot of work with younger chefs and we took them, um, we took them on a mentor day to Dalesford Organics uh, down in the Cotswolds. And their message is to, you know, we, 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 we buy so much meat in this country, you know, so much red meat in, in this country. Actually, do you know what? Let's buy less, but buy better. You know, we're going to be supporting farmers uh, and we're not going to be, um, you know, carbon emissions and all that kind of stuff. We're not going to be, uh, you know, putting stuff towards that. And it's the same with chocolate. Mm. We've just got to dive a little deeper yeah. and understand what it all means. Yeah. So buy less, but buy better. So look for high um, high amounts of cocoa rather than high amounts of sugar. Yeah. A fair trade or similar label is a good starting place, but don't feel bound by that. Because I guess what you're saying is you might find chocolate that is... Uh, more expensive than what you would pay for fair trades, yep. uh, but it is still fairly traded if it, even if it doesn't have the label. Absolutely. So um, I uh, sit on the board of the Academy of Chocolate, which is a lovely uh, board to sit on. Uh, we um, we run an awards every year uh, that have has a, a global um, pickup, and we see some incredible artisan chocolate makers that have direct relationship with with farmers across the globe, and they pay. S- super high prices which is amazing but if you're looking at let's say eight pounds for 150 grams of mm. chocolate the general consumer will go but i can i can buy a chocolate but i can buy a 70 percent bar of dark chocolate that's made by a i don't know manufacturer in on the continent and i can buy it for one pound fifty why would i buy eight pounds for it well actually it will be from a flavor perspective, it'll taste so much great, mm. so much better. It will last longer because you're not going to eat as much in one go. And you know that more of that money is going to go to a farmer. Yeah. So bring it back to you then. Uh, I'd love to know, what's been the best day of your career and what's been the worst? Oh, best day of my career. Um, so I, <laughs> I've had quite a few. I've, I've, I've pushed a lot of doors. Um, the one that springs to mind instantly is, oh, no, did it just change? <laughs> Terrible. There's been a lot of good days. Yeah. Um, so when I was in, so in 2007, I represented the UK at the International World Skills Competition. And I was the UK representative for pastry. Now, the World Skills is the, the largest skills competition in the world. 50 different nations, over 50 different skills taking part from patisserie and confectionery to landscape gardening, beauty therapy, robotics, you name it, there's a competition for it. And um, this was two years of training, like hard, like like when an Olympic athlete trains for the Olympics, it's the same for these. This is the Olympics for making pastries. Yeah, it's the skills Olympics, if you like. And um, over four days of competition, you know, up against some of the best pastry chefs, you know, at, at that time, with tasks including uh, desserts, chocolate showpieces, petit fours. I'm imagining like the Bake Off, but on a much grander oh, scale. Yeah. Uh, much grander, <laughs> much more difficult. Uh, no soggy bottoms in sight. Um, and by the end of it, I'm just physically, mentally, emotionally drained. Yeah. And um, you you go around everyone else's stands, and I'm up against you know France, Italy, Germany. You know, Japan. The Fr- France claim to have like invented all oh, yeah. this stuff. I mean, so they're, 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 they're going to be tough. To, they're going to be tough to beat. <laughs> and you go around, and you go right. I have not done very well. 
I've not done very well. And you go home, you, you or you go back to the hotel, feel very dejected. And um, you then have a closing ceremony and you have, there are medals, the gold, silver, bronze medals. And we're sitting there, you know, we're all in team suits, the U, the Union Jack, we're flying and all that kind of stuff. And, and it gets to, you know, the patisserie section and um, the UK is nowhere near the medal table. I'm like, oh, well, that's two years down the drain. And then um, the other thing about world skills is, is that when you reach a certain point score, you're awarded a medallion of excellence and it's an excellence mark. Uh, and we went to a, a UK, Team UK reception and uh, they read out my name as a medallion of excellence oh, winner. Wow. And I was then able to see the results and out of nearly 25 countries, I'd come six in the world. Wow. I'd beat, beaten the French and yes. the Germans and the Swiss. Yes, look at that. Happy days. <laughs> um, and I was the first British pastry chef to win a medallion of excellence. Wow. Now we've, uh, you know, we've gone on to win some more. Um, I was then able to help train the, with the next competitor. Uh, he became fifth, beat me, which was great. And um, I'm now, uh, I've now taken on the on the role of training the 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 uh, competitors for the for World Skills. The next competition is in Shanghai in two years, and uh, the the journey starts uh, kind of in uh, later De- late December January. And uh, so that was a that was a that was that was the kind of day that I su- I hate to use the word catapulted me, but it kind of gave me the confidence mm. to say, okay, let's see, let's see what comes, but mm. let's go with it with two hands. And the worst? And the worst? And the worst. I mean, I remember working for a chef who had previously worked for Marco Pierre White. Now, Marco Pierre White is a huge, huge force in the, in, in the chef world, um, but very bad-tempered back in the day. Uh, you know, protégés include Gordon Ramsay and those kind of people. And I remember... We were in this small kind of gastro pub um, in Buckinghamshire, and uh, we had we'd, we'd had the good food guide in or something like that, or we had a journalist in, and it was Sunday lunch, and um, I was on veg on the veg, like so roast potatoes, you know, Yorkshire puddings, the works, you know, roast beef, gravy. I love talking about food, and uh, I mean he- I'm just getting hungry. <laughs> Hearing you talk about chocolate and roast beef and you know all in one pot. It's not even nearly dinner time, but I'm craving it already. And I hadn't done the potatoes as much as he. I hadn't prepared them as well as he potentially liked them. Obviously, there was the pressure of the good food guide in or whatever. And I had he literally lost it. He lost the plot. Plates flown at the kitchen. Thrown at the kitchen. Uh, Box. There was a huge box of like vegetables thrown across the country. He just lost the plot. And I just remember going. I don't know if this is what I want to do anymore. Yeah. And, it, and I suppose it questioned. And I suppose that's why it was the worst because I loved food. Mm. I'd gone, you know, I'd worked with Heston. I was in the middle of my training, but it, had questioned, it yeah. questioned what I wanted to do. Yeah. I, I know you, you spoke earlier about, you know, despite watching TV and seeing particularly short-tempered uh, yeah. chefs, not everyone's like that. And obviously you're a Christian working in that world and I know you wouldn't be like that in the kitchen and you don't have to be a Christian to not be bad-tempered and all the rest of it. So I, I accept that. At the same time, as you know from personal experience, things can get pretty scary in the kitchen. And this might sound like a strange question, but my question is, are there not more uh, lawsuits or even reporting the chef to, you know, is there accountability here? Because if I'm hearing a story like that of a chef completely losing it and throwing a plate at someone... Well, I mean, I work in an organisation where I think someone would quite rightly be fired if they did that. Does that culture not exist in the in the chef world? Well, it, it's there, but at the same time, you know, pressure can um, 
can rise up in various different forms. Um, you know, at the end of the day, if you're in a high pressured, a highly stressful environment that has a lot of pressure, you know that they are, you know, working at the very top of their, you know, let's say you're spending nearly two hundred pounds on a tasting menu. There is a responsibility as the chef to make sure it's perfect mm. for the customer, because actually, you know, we're there to feed the customer, like we said. Um, and if things go wrong, because there's that pressure, because there's that stress, and whether that's whatever that might be, sometimes things do boil over. But do you know what? We're we're all on the same team. We've still got to get. So there. you wouldn't ever be tempted to report the chef to. I think we just got. You just. You just I mean, take it. You just got to take it. You just got to get on with it. It's head down. And actually, it's probably a, a lesson to make sure you do get all the prep done right. Make sure you do cook the fish right. Uh, <laughs> you're not going to make that same mistake again. Uh, you're definitely not going to make that mistake again. My roast potatoes are pretty good now, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. I wanted to ask you one more question about tier fund because um, I was reading that you did the mean bean challenge. I did. Which, as I understand it, is where you basically eat nothing but is it rice and vegetables? Rice, rice and beans. beans. For so five days? Five days, no, nothing else. Now, obviously, I uh, like work in the food industry. I, yeah, how does that work? <laughs> I mean, it was pretty stressful. I pretty much had to take a week off work. Um, so basically, yeah, uh, plain rice, uh, plain beans, uh, a little pinch of salt is all you can have. So I'm used to having spices, you know, huge cupboard full of spices and herbs and, you know, a fridge full of different, you know, ingredients that you can r- rustle something up with. Um to go to you know and no chocolate i mean come on we're like we've already like we've already said i eat chocolate every day for breakfast as i for understand. breakfast for i mean i didn't have any this morning actually so i need to i need to have some on my way out um but yeah it's it was hugely difficult much more difficult than i thought it was going to be um and all you can have is water so no tea no coffee no soft drinks no alcohol that kind of thing so you're on a very, very basic diet. But what it what it did was actually, it, it, kind of, it, it made me think about those that don't have the fridge full of different ingredients, the pantry full of, you know, dried spices and herbs. And the fact that many of us across the UK can walk out of our front door and within five minutes of walking out of the door, you could be in a supermarket yeah. buying food. We just take that for granted, don't we? Yeah. And I think the idea that you can get all sorts of different food all year round, we kind of take for granted. As you say, most parts of the world, it's seasonal. Yeah. And we, yeah, we've lost a bit of seasonality in the UK for sure. You know, you can buy strawberries all, you know, all, all year when actually you should only be buying them in the summer. Yeah. Because British strawberries are, of course, the best. But actually, there are people, there are, there are millions, billions of people in the world that, that don't have that opportunity and do just have a, a, a diet of, of plain rice and plain beans and not even a pinch of salt. Mm. And I, you know, you're having that for, you know, basically breakfast, lunch and dinner and just water. And I found myself uh, hugely fatigued, very tired, not a lot of energy, very, very grumpy at home. Um, and at the same time, I'm cooking my, <laughs> my wife is gluten and dairy intolerant. So for me to put her through that, I was like, oh, I'm not sure. So I'm still cooking her normal dinner. Right. And then I'm having a plain rice and my plain yeah. beans. Um, she did it for one day and she kind of said that was enough. Um, but hugely fatigued. And towards the end of the week, I was um, doing a video diary for Tear Fun and I, and I found myself thinking about people that have this diet constantly and thinking about the fact that they will probably work longer hours than... Mm myself and you work mm. 
So how do they feel when they're working an 18 hour day, traveling you know, hundreds of miles to their workplace or not working and only having rice and beans with yeah. no pro, you know, not a lot of protein, not a lot, I mean, a huge amount of carbs, but you know, no sugar, no energy, no, no sustenance. Imagine what they're feeling. Imagine what, you know, they're feeling even more worse, but they're still going, just got to get on with it. Yeah. Incredibly hard, but an, an incredibly rewarding, uh, perhaps spiritual week as well, you know, making you think about others and, you know, making you think about that actually when Jesus says, you know, we just need to have, you know, just need to have bread, you know, we just need bread. That's kind of, we don't need, you know, world cuisine all the time. Yeah, yeah. So was this a case of kind of raising money for Tier Fund while you were doing it as well? Yes. So um, we were. I was. I, I joined with you know hundreds of other people across the UK doing the Mean Bean Challenge. Um, I was lucky enough to call on some of my um, fellow Tier Fund ambassadors who had done it before. So Governor B and Martha Collison had done it before. Okay. So they I was gave you some to, tips today. A few bits of tips and some, some <laughs> advice and. I'm not um, sure what the tips would be in this case. There, you there aren't a lot, to be honest. Apart from just cheating, which presumably they weren't recommending. No, so no cheating. <laughs> um, I was able to have <laughs> I was able to have a cup of tea very late on on the okay, Sunday, okay. Uh, which was it was the best cup of tea ever. <laughs> um, and well, I imagine if some people did this, that it would obviously require giving up coffee, and I can imagine some people yeah. would find headaches coming on pretty strongly. It's amazing though how much water helps. Really, water was the tip that um, that Governor B uh, okay. gave me. He said just drink water all the time because actually water fills you up. Yeah. Um, which because by the by day three, day four, you go. I cannot face another plate of plain rice and plain beans. <laughs> it's just uh, uh, the taste. There's no taste. I'm becoming incredibly bored. Uh, and also, because I wasn't able to take a week off work, I was still at work surrounded by lovely food. Oh, yeah. So very difficult. Um, but water water got me through it. And then the, the meal I had afterwards was fish and chips with lots of vinegar. Nice, nice. Well, if you want to get involved in that, do it yourself. There are more details on the Tear Fund website of how you can take part in the Mean Bean Challenge. Um, I'd love to talk a bit more about church, though. I think you mentioned uh, you're a church leader. Yeah, so I was elected onto um, our eldership team uh earlier this year just uh, just before easter and um we have a team of six um elders that and we all uh, have responsibility throughout the church uh and it's amazing i am loving it i had a real um a real moment uh in 2018 uh, focus actually uh, where i really felt i really felt s- something about leading about leadership and i started to to research whether it was a formal training whether I was going to have a career change um and that was a focus and then I'd gone to New Wine and I just met up with some some friends in leadership and just said look this is what this is what I feel God is saying to me but I'm not sure what it might look like and lots of lots of various different pieces of advice but one of them uh, Chris Fox from Ealing said you have a, a really supportive church you already do um, all the social media for it, you do all the events for it, you do all the hospitality for it. Just try some different ways of what leading might look like. So I went to uh, our, our eldership and said, look, this is what, this is definitely what I feel God is calling me to, but I don't know what it looks like. And they said, well, it's funny you should say that because we've started to think think about asking you on to becoming an elder of the church a leader of the church and because of what you do already and we've seen it we've definitely seen a shift in in your um in your calling and your responsibility and the way you are at church 
so what do you think? And I'm like, oh, okay, well, why don't I come, come, come along to a few meetings? And instantly parachuted myself into a to a project, into a into a kind of rebrand project, um, which we landed on Easter Sunday. the The old brand went on Good Friday, and the new brand oh, came in on Easter Sunday. I see what you did there. And uh, so we, we ended up taking all the outside, the external banners down on Good Friday, and <laughs> everything went up late Easter Saturday. So that Easter Sunday was a was a new brand, and um, and it was announced that I would you know obviously being voted on but would be joining the, the the leadership team and um i am loving it it's it's uh it's really opened my eyes to to what it means to to lead and and not ju- you know we talk about chefs leading we talk about um you know people leading in different fields but leading in a church is so incredibly rewarding it's so incredibly challenging at times but it's so incredibly rewarding when you see when you when you start to build up people but when you see people released when you see chains being broken when you see people freely worshiping like they've never done before and it's not just because of the band mm. you know something's happening yeah. and you see growth and that's exciting yeah absolutely well that's a wonderful place to leave it will thank you so much for coming on the show great to be here i'm sam hells thank you so much for listening to my interview with will torrent i do hope you enjoyed that If you did, then you're sure to love Premier Christianity magazine. That's the magazine that I edit and sponsors the show, making it all possible. You can actually read part of that interview with Will Torrance in the latest issue, plus a whole load of other great content, news, reviews, features, and so much more. If you're not already a subscriber, then why not have a look at the magazine completely free of charge? We'll send you a copy of the brand new edition completely free of charge. There is no obligation to take out a subscription. We just want you to see it. So why not head to premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample. Simply type your address in and we'll get a copy of the new issue out to you right away. You've literally got nothing to lose. Head to premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample to take advantage of that if you're listening live on premier christian radio then you might want to know that this show is now available as a podcast that means you can hear past episodes with all kinds of fascinating christians from all sorts of different walks of life hear all those interviews for free on the profile podcast just go to premierchristianradio.com forward slash the profile and you'll have all the links there to download the profile as a podcast wherever is most convenient for you and if you are listening to the podcast right now we'd really appreciate it if you could give us a rating and a review wherever you are listening to this from right now it really helps us and it helps other people discover the show So please give us a rating and a review. And why not check out our back catalogue as well? Well over 100 interviews with different Christians from all walks of life, exclusive to the Profile podcast. We will be back at the same time, same place next week. Hope you have a great rest of your weekend and we'll see you then.